Since 1972, Braun Industries has been a custom ambulance manufacturer focused on safety, quality, and innovation. Each Braun module is unique well beyond the chassis it's built on. With six ambulance models, limitless features, and all customizable options, let Braun assist you in designing the perfect custom ambulance to suit your needs. Learn more at www.braunambulances.com. Is your fire department prepared to face challenges like the turbulent economy, recruiting and retention, and funding? Level up and get the training and strategies you need on the issues that matter most at Wave 2023. Featuring ESO Training Academy on April 11th through the 14th, 2023 in Austin, Texas. ESO, a leading provider of fire RMS and EPCR software, brings together national industry leaders, quality training, and experienced fire and EMS professionals for a unique conference experience that will inspire you to drive change within your organization and prepare for 2023's challenges. For a limited time, our listeners can use the discount code FIRETRUCK to save $100 on a full four-day conference pass. Don't miss this opportunity to learn from some of the nation's top experts in emergency services. Visit ESOWave.com to register today. That's E-S-O-W-A-V-E.com. See you in Austin on April 11th through the 14th, 2023. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, empowered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to another Fire Engineering Podcast, Networking for Success. I am your host, Dave McGlynn. If you are a first-time listener, I want to say thank you for listening in. Uh, for anybody that has been listening, you guys are familiar with the background of the show. So the show is called Networking for Success, and it is quite literally that. I like to be able to talk to leaders and, and trainers and people from the fire service, emergency services, and our great military from all over the country. I like to be able to get their background, have them bring a few nuggets to you, the listener, uh, the biggest takeaway is that we're networking with somebody. We're having them share information with us and maybe they can share their contacts. And if you're going through something that you're kind of in a rut or you're at a question mark or a standstill and you needed to find out, well, how do I get an answer to this or where do I find that information? Well, if you're listening to the show, hopefully one of my guests or somebody that's able to help you get through that. Um, but, you know, the biggest takeaway is that you're not alone. There's an empathy piece of this. There's people that are going to be going through or have gone through probably similar situations that you have. So as we go through our careers and through our personal lives, we, we oftentimes we find these, these setbacks where we wonder, oh, why is this happening to me? <clears throat> One of the biggest important things about this show is that I'm able to bring somebody who also has gone through something before. And these people quite literally are people that have amounted to some level of success that it kind of frames it in a way for you to know that you're going to get through whatever it is that you're getting through and you're not alone in your problems. So for tonight, 
I am joined by, I'm, I'm extremely honored to say this, I'm, I'm joined by uh, our new editor-in-chief of Fire Engineering, uh, Dave Rhodes. So Dave Rhodes, uh, if people are familiar with him, he's been, he's been teaching uh, for FDIC forever. He was a battalion chief in, in Atlanta, and, and I mean, he's just... If you don't know who he is, you've been clearly living under a rock, right? But the the the, the most important part is, is that he's a big deal, and, and it's a huge honor for me to have him on my show. So quick background, um, David is a 37-year fire service veteran. He's the editor-in-chief of fire engineering, and he's the education director for FDIC. He's a retired battalion chief from the city of Atlanta in Georgia. He's the a chief elder for the Georgia Smoke Diver Program, a 20-year member of the Fire Department Instructors Conference, executive advisory board, a hands-on training instructor. He is also the hands-on training coordinator for FDIC. He is an editor advisor and author for Fire Engineering Magazine, an edit editorial advisor for Fire Apparatus and Equipment Magazine, author of the Hump Day SOS column in Fire Rescue Magazine, an adjunct instructor for the Georgia Fire Academy, an advisory board member emeritus for the Underwriters Laboratories Fire Safety Re Research Institute, and a board member of the Firefighter Air Co Coalition. He served as an incident commander for the Georgia Emergency Management Agency Type 3 All Hazards Incident Management Team, was a task force leader for the Georgia Search and Rescue Team, and he's the president of Rhodes Consultants Incorporated, which provides public safety training, consulting, and promotional assessment centers. So, Chief, thank you for taking the time to join me. I know you have a very busy schedule and you got a lot going on right now. So this means a lot that you took the time to join me. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. And uh, I appreciate you doing the show and I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to get started. So I, I start all my shows the same way. So uh, people should know who you are, but I, I want you to give your background if you could for the listener. So tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from and what inspired you to join the fire service? All right. So, uh, I grew up in a small suburb of Atlanta, Georgia, um, it's Conyers, Georgia, and, uh, went to school there, grade school and high school. And towards the end of high school, trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do. I had been doing summer jobs at a land surveying, um, company that was, that was a lot of fun. It was outdoors and, uh, thought about maybe going into that field had always enjoyed doing things outside. And, uh, basically, uh, the, the local fire chief there in Conyers came in to get some work done and, uh, I struck up a conversation with him and I had considered, you know, public safety. I'd considered police department, um, had thought about possibly going to paramedic school. I grew up in the, uh, in the, in the television show, emergency age. So I was a big time, uh, uh, lover of the show emergency watched it when it was on network. And then of course, after school reruns uh, every day. So just the action packed with the rescues and all the different calls kind of had that in the back of my mind. So, uh, told him a little bit about, um, what I was thinking and, he made the offer that if I came and uh, signed up to be a volunteer and it was a combination department at the time, it was 20 paid guys and they had about 20 or 30 volunteers. Um, but it was not dependent on volunteers. The majority of the volunteers were 
still left over from the all volunteer days and they were they were kept on for the social aspect and they did they did respond and augment but it wasn't a, a true combination where it was was heavily reliant on them um and he offered me the opportunity to uh to go to emt school for free and uh you know coming right out of high school hearing that it was for free i think i was probably working for about five dollars an hour or whatever the the going rate was for a for a surveyor draftsman slash rodman back then whatever minimum wage was plus maybe a few cents and uh i could still work at the surveying place uh hang out at the fire station and then go to school at at night for the emt so i signed up uh, like the next day i went and met with him and signed up and uh officially became a volunteer and started hanging out at the fire station that day and uh got invited that saturday to a live burn um it was a state sanctioned live burn so i uh, agreed to do that with some of the guys they immediately just took me right under their wing so i was issued my turnout gear and got in a truck and drove to the live burn all was my first uh, experience um when we got there uh this was an old farmhouse that uh really uh had the old you know tongue and groove paneling the pine paneling and and all had tall ceilings we were probably the third or fourth rotation in a typical you know academy type class where you got like six people on the hose line in and out put the fire out back you know back the line out and uh this thing lit off on us on my very first time in and uh um pushed us to the floor instructor said hit the deck and the guy on the nozzle did never open the nozzle to flow water. So there was a wrestling match between the instructor and that guy. And, uh, it resulted in, in him receiving some burns. Um, the instructor ultimately won the match and opened the line. The fire went out, but it was, they said fire blew out two rooms and up in the air about 20 or 30 feet on the outside that it was pretty impressive. Well, as this guy's laying there screaming, the instructor tells me, to get him out. And this is the first time I've ever even been in turnout gear in a breathing apparatus. And instinctively I rolled him over, grabbed him by the shoulder straps and did what we would consider now pretty much a textbook, uh, SCBA drag, uh, with the help of a couple of other guys. And, uh, I kind of took charge and got the other guys to, to help me. And we pulled the guy out. He, he was okay. He did have some, some, pretty severe burns on his neck and back. But, um, after that, I was like, I don't know about EMT school. I think I'm going to be a firefighter. So, uh, I still went to EMT school, uh, but I didn't quite have the, uh, enthusiasm on it as I did for the fire stuff. And I just started devouring the fire stuff from that point on. So that got me started. Um, it was a, it was a wonderful group. It was a small suburban station with 20 guys we had an engine uh and a and a small rescue and uh back to the squad 51 days uh it sort of operated like that it, it it ran ems calls but it also ran all fires in the county we had the only extrication tool in the county at the time so if you were on that unit you were going to anything significant and uh that that got its hooks in me really deep um 
we went through a consolidation with a, another, with the county department and that resulted in some loss of pay and benefits and went from a, a station that, that had five, six guys on duty every day to, you know, one man station or two man stations. And it just really wasn't the vibe that, uh, that I was looking for. So I, I decided to leave and go to Atlanta in 92. And then I did a 30 year career there doing my last 17 years as a battalion chief. So that, that was kind of my, my intro and, uh, breath of, of fire department experience on the official side. Yeah. Breath is, is definitely a mild way to put it up. <clears throat> I'll tell you that the, uh, the the story with you going into the live burn and having to actually pull a dude out when you first got in that's that's an introduction and a half right there it takes people a long time to even be able to see whether or not they're cut out for it you you learned like literally day one it was like am i meant for this or not <laughs> and i love that you said yeah so then uh kind of put the emt thing on the side sort of yeah. focusing and more I've on never, the fire side. i have never done any drugs uh or anything even similar but I can only imagine that that probably has to be the closest to cocaine that there, that there is. Because, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure. I was addicted immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's uh that's definitely a, a unique high right there. That's, that's really cool. So it's just, I, I swear in, in all the people I've interviewed, I've never heard somebody have that early of an introduction of like, this is a make or break situation. And you found out real quick, like I'm hooked. This is uh this is for me. And um, what was more interesting was just, you know, uh, the show is called networking, right? So early on when you were talking, you were saying about how the this individual, he had uh, you had met with him, you had spoken with him, and, and he was going to try to help you get into uh, EMT school for free. And just for the, the, the listener, I want you to understand that's that important piece of networking, you know, had you not spoken to that individual. Who knows? Who knows what would have happened? You know, they wouldn't have been able to offer you that opportunity. You wouldn't have hung out at the firehouse. You wouldn't have been able to go to the live burn that day. Uh, that unfortunate situation, but ended up being fortunate for how you guys handled it. Wouldn't have happened and you wouldn't have been hooked and been into what you're doing now. And, you know, you were interested in pursuing a career with being police at first. You know, So that's why this, this worked out, you know, and that's, that's why I say to people like it, it, all you got to do is talk to people. And you'll see that there's uh, an endless uh, amount of possibilities just by talking to people and networking with people. So that is really cool that like that story, I'm just sitting here listening to it. I'm like, wow, like that's what, I mean, that's the best way to find out, you know, when you're a kid, just, is this for me or not? (laughs) That's so awesome. It was something. And uh, I'm still, still really close with that. uh, The guy that was the instructor, we went on to teach together for years. He was a Lieutenant at the time. And, uh, he ended up retiring as a, as a deputy chief out of the department that I left. And, uh, the fire chief that actually hired me, um, still stay in touch with him. And, uh, our little Conyers fire department group, um, still gets together about every We We try to do it every six to, to eight weeks, uh, for a lunch. And it, and it is your typical, uh, it's your typical old man lunch now, or, or as you see the old man at the breakfast spot, um, we're, we're all aging. I'm still one of the younger of the group that, uh, that, that goes, but, um, it's so great to see, to see and, 
you know, you get to ask the questions. I, I've actually asked that chief, you know, I was like, why did you hire me? You know, and his, his answer was, he goes, well, I, I wanted to hire you when I talked to you, but he goes, I, I did things a little different. He said, he said, some of the other chiefs in the area hired for resume, like they wanted to see your resume and they wanted to see, you know, what you had done, other job experience and all. He, he said, I wasn't so much worried about that. He said, I tried to start everybody off as a volunteer because I wanted to see if you fit in. And I think that's, uh, that's something that's overlooked nowadays. Everybody's a number and, and it's resume building and, you know, what all have you accomplished on paper, but nothing replaces those other skills, which are, you know, what's your personality, what's your aptitude, what's your, uh, your, your morale level, like your personal responsibility. How do you fit in with the group? He said, I can teach anybody how to do anything, but I can't change your attitude when you come in. Like you come in with, with a certain attitude. He goes, it's hard for me to change that, to make you fit our mold. So he said, I looked for people who fit our mold. And then I turned them loose to our guys and taught them what they needed to know. And it's pretty simple, but it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's totally awesome. Uh, all right. Well, for tonight's episode, we're going to be covering training uh, the roles and responsibilities of the, of the instructor and the importance of passing on information, which is a lot of the stuff that you talked about. Uh, so in your experience, why is training so important and what are some of the roles and responsibilities of the instructor? Well, Fortunately for me, that small little department was so focused on training. Um, you know, we thought we were busy back in those, those days with our, our five calls a day, six calls a day, but almost every person in that organization was an instructor, um, at a state, at the state level. And so kind of to be in and to be cool in the organization, you had to, to get your, your instructor one an instructor too. And then you had to move on to live fire instructor, LP instructor, technical rescue rope instructor. You know, it was like the sky was the limit. And so seeing that early on, um, it definitely set a good tone for me of the importance and, uh, truly your training is the lifeblood of the organization. It's, uh, it's the, the place where the, the coaching and the sharing, happens and and then each generation builds on those successes and those tactics and and they improve on them if if the system's working right so um the, the lifeblood of of the organization is is usually those instructors they're usually the if they're not the leaders they're the informal leaders for sure and they're um setting the example and in passing on the knowledge um, it's, it's super important, uh, for them to understand that, that that's, that's where the magic happens. Um, that's where you get your hooks into somebody, um, through motivating them, uh, inspiring them to, to be a life learner versus just learning a skill and, and, uh, letting that be the end of it. Um, pretty much every smoke diver class we do, I, I end with a, with a statement that is, you know, this is just the beginning. 
because every day is a training day and it's not just tra about training in the physical sense. It's about learning and, um, the best firefighters, the best fire service leaders that I know are, are lifelong leaders. So, um, it's, it's, it's hugely important. I would say that training, training is the most important. And then right along with that is the company officer level management, um, which are usually where your instructors are. Um, it's the building on, you know, the building on ideas. And one of the things that attracted me to being an instructor so much is how much I learned. Um, I would get to see 30 students complete a task and see the mistakes that they made. Even though I may show them a technique, I would see things that they did wrong, which would improve my technique. Um, and I always said, I walked away from every class learning more than I actually taught, you know, a student. So I think that's a value in being an instructor also. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and you're absolutely right. You know, it's a, it's, it goes through the, all the stages too, if you're a leader or not, you know, in the company officer realm and, and, um, and everything like that, there, there's a ton of responsibility. People don't realize that comes with it. You know, you, I say, there's that expression, heavy weighs the crown. So as an instructor or as a training officer or whatever, you know, um, you're responsible for the development of, of others and, and the future of the fire service. And then if it's an internal thing, if that's an internal position, meaning like, you know, exclusive to just your department. Yeah. No, <clears throat> good. Yeah. And there's a, there's a danger to it too. Um, we, you know, the, the, the bravado, the camaraderie, camaraderie, esprit de corps, all that is just wonderful and can be developed in any atmosphere. The danger is, um, in folks that only instructors and students alike that only get their experiences from training. Um, I've seen a lot of, of guys that maybe go into the training academy as like a long career, uh, they're instructors for 20, 30 years. Um, you, you start losing your tactical advantage of teaching the basics from the lens of experience and your experience now becomes the experience in a burn building or the experience on the drill yard or the experience on a forcible entry prop. And it may not mimic reality, uh, in the way that it needs to. So there has to, you have to be careful, um, with developing, uh, techniques and, and, uh, procedures that are built around props and academies versus experience. So, um, I really support like the adjunct instructor programs that most academies have where, you know, if you have a, if you have a training chief, that's, that's there for a long time, um, you're good, but bringing in those guys from the field is, is essential so that they can give you that, that, real street level perspective to the lesson. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I totally agree with that. And that is, you're a hundred percent right. You know, the other side of that is just that, um, people, unfortunately, uh, you know, when you're in that position, you can also teach, uh, bad tactics, bad habits. Uh, and that's why I was saying before, you know, that heavy weighs the crown thing. You're very responsible for 
uh, the future of your organization, the future of the fire service, um, and, uh, and, and all that. And, and it's just, you know, people need to take that responsibility very serious. Uh, oftentimes you find people that they just want to get into being a training officer or an instructor because it's something cool to do. Uh, or like I say, you know, in my class, you know, if you promoted to the training officer permission position to get off of riding the fire truck or because you couldn't hack it as a firefighter. So you thought, well, I could just push out the training schedule. You're doing it wrong. That's not the right way to do it. And, uh, and you're going to certainly subject your, uh, your fire department to disaster, um, by doing something like that. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So talking about a lot of that stuff and the roles of the instructor, you've recently taken on this new role as uh, the editor in chief and, you know, for the audience, uh, you know, for the listener and even for myself, you know, I know this is a big thing for you. Definitely something that you're, you're, you're very well experienced and, and qualified to do. And, and, and we're all excited to have you doing it. Uh, but just tell us a little bit about the new role as editor in chief and director of education for fire engineering for FDIC. And then um, after you tell us about that, there's a couple follow-ups just, you know, for the, for the listener, what services uh, and uh, courses are offered at FDIC and through the magazine and like, you know, the fire Academy and everything. And, and, um, and then any challenges that you've faced since taking on the new role, what have you been doing to get through those? Yeah, sure. Well, um, uh, the, the plan for becoming editor was sort of set in motion a couple of years ago with some conversations with Bobby, um, obviously I was still working at the fire department and couldn't commit to anything full time, but after I retired, um, that resurfaced and, uh, he actually was able to, to bring me on back in August as the, the fire side subject matter expert. So I was working hand in hand with him every day, uh, probably two, three hours a day on the phone and going over, uh, just the content. Uh, recruiting authors and looking at what we needed to do for our, for our online platforms and the magazine. And uh, it, it freed up some time for him to just be a little more strategic in in where we're, we're going to take the, the, you know, the, the magazine and, and FDIC from there and supposed to be about a two year transition. He was really thinking about slowing down doing a little more with his Mustang and his car shows. And, uh, it was going to be a good, a good, you know, couple of year transition to sort of get my feet wet in it because I had never been in a role like that before, even though I had written a lot of articles, I had peer reviewed a lot of articles as a technical editor, um, and been around FDIC. I had not been behind the scenes with the roles that he had, specific to FDIC other than the hands-on training that I helped him with, you know, for the whole time he was there. So I didn't really know what all it entailed. Um, I think most people have this, uh, stereotype in their mind that if you're the editor of the, of a magazine, then you're, uh, you're the grammar police and you're, you're inserting commas and periods. So anybody who knows me knows that that is not one of my skills. Uh, I'm definitely not the grammar police and I'm not a, uh, uh, the industry term is a copy editor. Uh, I'm strictly yeah. the, the editor is the person who, who sort of manages the tone 
who is the the conscience of what gets published and and what doesn't um and is a is a motivational um figure for the fire service and i think fire engineering is a platform that that does sort of provide the conscience of of the the fire service and uh um I look at it as a huge opportunity to, to provide that platform to people who are of high character and competence and have something to contribute that maybe they can't contribute somewhere else. And I think that's the beauty of both the magazine and FDIC is it's one, one of those outlets that, uh, um, and, and a lot of instructors fit this category perfectly because a lot of us are limited in our organizations at what we can do for various reasons. Sometimes it's politics, sometimes it's procedure, sometimes it's position. And so the instructor type person is always looking to contribute. Um, there are some that, that look to get famous and make a name for themselves, but let's discard them for, for the sake of this conversation and think about the person who really just wants to contribute and make a difference. Sometimes in your own organization, you're handcuffed and you can't do all that you want to do. And that's why people form their own training companies. That's why people start their own fire conferences is because of the restrictions put on by the organizations. So fire engineering and FDIC is, is that outlet for a lot of these really high speed contributors that want to do more than just be the guy at their department um because of those restrictions and so if you don't have that outlet you tend to really turn negative um you get very cynical and you know every day's doomsday oh this place is horrible and and you need to to have that on um creative outlet for yourself it's good for your own mental health as as and your learning as it is for the folks that you're contributing to. So that's sort of what I see us as, as a platform for not only just educating the fire service for being a voice for the fire service, for providing a platform for all voices um, that, that have anything to do with the business. And then to give you that motivation, you, you hear it all the time after FDIC, Oh, this is where I come and I'm here for the week and it recharges my batteries. Well, that's what I want for, for fire engineering is that when you open that issue or you go and you listen to a podcast or you, or you go online and see the stories that we're putting out, that it's, it's motivation to keep you engaged in, in the fire service and, and keep that passion alive for you. I love that. Uh, I, I really do. I love hearing you say that. <clears throat> so just, okay. So I'm going to speak for myself in, in a response to that. So as a, um, as, as someone who uh, has a subscription, a subscriber to the magazine, someone who's read the magazine quite literally my entire career, uh, someone who aspired to write for the magazine, teach at FDIC, all of the things that you're saying is exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm just, I would be um, remiss if I didn't, uh, 
if I didn't mention it. So I'm going to mention it. It's just in my age group. So I'm 40. So um, unfortunately, uh, as I'm starting to gain a little more credibility in my experience and the message that I deliver, I uh, hate to use the word compete, but it's just a, for the sake of uh, the discussion. I find myself uh, competing with uh, other people because of the availability of uh, social media. And uh, some people try to use it. I call them fire celebrities. Some people try to use it to try to become famous. And right. uh, and 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 it, it, it I'll be I'm not gonna lie. You know, I, I don't mean to make it personal. I just I get a little frustrated just because um I grew up. You know, North Jersey, uh, you know, we, we had, you know, uh, some some greats out there. You know, your Anthony Avillos, your Frank Viscusos, your Salkas, your Champos, you know, they were all out there. You know, uh, Tommy Brennan, what he was doing with the magazine early on before Bobby took it over. <clears throat> and then Bobby and, and you know, just the way he's like, you know, the uh, uh, Tony Robbins of the fire service, you know, the way he would come out and do his thing. and. And uh, and it's like that's the stuff like I, I would find myself kind of confined in my own uh, fire department. Uh, and it's like, you know, limited to what I could or couldn't do, what I could or couldn't teach uh, or my zealousness would be uh, received by superiors as like, uh, whoa, kid, you know, like, like, what are you trying to do? You're trying to like make threat. me look bad, you know, yeah. and, and and FDIC and fire engineering 100 percent gave people like myself and many, many others that opportunity for us to share that message and grow uh, as presenters uh, really beyond our game. You know, I used to say Bobby had the standard, you know, and I know you're going to hold it just in what you just said. It just it, it was so comforting to hear you say, because that's why I did it. That's why I just as a presenter and as an instructor, I got myself into putting myself out there. And I say that because that's li quite literally, you know, Chief, you know, you put, when, when we're out there on the public circuit, we're putting ourselves out there for scrutiny. You got these hefty things and everything like that. And right. you are, you're subject for, for a level of scrutiny. And if you're doing it for the right reason, you keep doing it and you grow as a, as a presenter, as an instructor, you continue to be a student of the craft and, 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 and inform yourself so that you, you're not fake and you're presenting the right content and the right material. And it is, it is very much a, a reset tool and 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 i like that you 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 coupled the magazine along with it so fdic is huge it's the super bowl right uh, you know it's 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 our thing it's the super bowl of our thing and uh you know we get thirty-five thousand to up to forty thousand attendees and it's huge and it's a rechargeable battery moment i wrote a thing on that a few years back i think in 2018 about rechargeable batteries jim duffy just put something out on his social media a few few months ago or two months ago whatever People say it like you said. I mean, that is the commonality is uh, is that is um, uh, rechargeable batteries. But the magazine, and you know, and 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 not to take away from the magazine. I'm old school. I'm a young. I'm young, but I, I'm an old soul. Is I like the magazine. I like having the magazine in my hand. You know, I like the pages. I like that. Um, but you know, the online content of what we what what Pete does and, and the team does out there, and just for the listener, the magazine is also that rechargeable battery motivational tool um, to see people from all walks of life in the fire service, sharing a story, sharing a nugget, sharing some training content, sharing some information, giving you some tidbits, you know, or, or as, as Champo likes to say, some tips, and uh, you know, what, what does he call it? Tips and tricks or something like that. You right. know, <laughs> um, 
you know, sharing that information, but also the the things that like uh, Paul Combs puts out there. You know, he does this beautiful illustration, and he doesn't even have to put words to it, and it just sums up everything. All these things should be set as some motivational tool to keep us going to recharge our batteries. And the beauty is, it, the frequency is it comes out every month. So like training. We train on topics and we deliver frequencies so that we stay proficient. That's the same with what we put out with fire engineering. Same with FDIC is there's that frequency level that there's new information. And there's also some, some refresher information to put out there so we can recharge batteries so we can stay fresh. And so we can keep motivated because we do, we find ourselves in these ruts where we start to, like you said, you know, um, kind of get like you know damn the man this place doesn't understand me um so for the listener i'll tell you because i'm a recipient of this opportunity this is going to be the sixth year i was accepted uh to to teach out there and i've, I've written for the magazine now and, and and my career has been amazing and i've been able to go all over because of opportunities like fire engineering and fdic so if you have something relevant something real something that's that's that you're passionate about and it means something you want to share that message for the right reason that in itself being having that opportunity to do that that is motivational it's like wow like you know like i feel so refreshed when i get to talk to people when i'm doing a program or after i do a program it's it's right it's a beautiful thing so i love that you put it that way i didn't mean to just hijack it but it's just no, i didn't expect perfect. you to give that answer and i don't mean any disrespect by that i just i i was like you know, I just thought in the position, like he's going to give like, and it was like, you spoke it exactly how it is. That is the intent of what, what we do with fire engineering, what we do with FDIC. And I love that you are at the helm of it and you delivered it in that way. I just, you summed it all up perfectly. So thank you. That's exactly it. Well, it's easy to have that perspective when you come up through the system, because I, you know, again, being a firefighter, being in a small department, then moving to an urban department, having a career, having the ups and downs and the politics. I've been through it all. Um, they, there was an administration that attempted to, to fire me for an article I wrote for fire engineering. Uh, and it didn't work out for them, but still I had to go through that experience. And, and, uh, um, so, and then I, I was a hot instructor for, you know, the first few years of hot. And then I moved into, uh, the logistics role, supporting all the hot classes. And so, I, I mean, the fire engineering reader, um, the subscriber, they're, they're like, they are me. And so um, it's easy to have that perspective because I know that's, that was one of, of, of my outlets. Of course, Georgia Smoke Divers was another one pre-FDIC and still is. Um, and we've expanded those programs, but um you, when you have the types of personalities that we have, um, unfortunately, um, I've told people a million times, I never wanted to be the fire chief. Um, that was not a goal of mine. Um, and, and, and I really didn't even want to be a battalion chief, but it was one of those, well, if I don't, if I don't participate in this process and take it, then who am I going to end up working for? But, by the nature of the, of your passion, by the nature of your caring and wanting to contribute, you make people look bad and you don't even mean to. And, uh, a lot of times our folks become targets and, uh, 
you know, it happened to me. It happened to me over a, a long period of time. It was very toxic, but those, I had to go outside of the system to be able to contribute to the degree that I wanted to contribute. I could still do company training with my, my crews as a company officer. Um, I did some stuff at the fire Academy for a while, but even that got threatened, uh, with some things that happened. So, um, we had a, a, an incident during one of our SCBA training weeks in which they, uh, we had a guy that, that, that had a medical issue. And instead of investigating this thing and determining what actually happened so we could learn, the immediate go-to was that we were hazing. And so all of us had charges filed on us in these, this long, you know, investigations that were drug out forever. And so as a, as a self-preservation mechanism, all of our, we had like 20, 25 SEBA week instructors. We all decided not to teach at the academy anymore because it was too risky for our career. If they were going to immediately blame us for something we didn't do instead of investigating, how could we continue to risk? You know, we're going to talk about real risk management. So we had to remove ourselves from the environment. And the fire chief at the time came to me after he realized what had happened and, and, uh, and said, you guys are too talented and you have too much to offer not to be instructors anymore and not to teach. And there was like 10 of us sitting in the room. And I said, chief, well, don't worry about that. We're not going to stop teaching. And he said, Oh, uh, thank you so much. And I said, we're just not going to teach here. And he just looked like, Oh my God, what, what, what have I done? And, uh, and so there are a lot of people that, that get that, that treatment in their organization unfairly, but, but it's important for you to know that it's there. And I never wanted to make anyone look bad, but by the fact that you're in, into what you do, you're passionate about it, you're competent and you have character, you are a threat to people that don't have that. And they are going to attack you. They're going to give you crappy assignments. They're going to try to prevent you from having influence at every step if they are not a good leader. Now the good leaders are going to give you the platform and open the doors for you to do even more than you can possibly do. But it seems that that is somewhat rare um, in, in today's fire service leadership. So when you do find that and, and you have a fire chief that recognizes that talent and puts it to use, those are usually some very, very, very motivated uh, organizations that attract a lot of recruits, uh, which is, which is a problem in the fire service right now is attracting new members to the fire service and, and that toxic leadership, uh, environment that's created in a lot of places is one of the root root causes because you don't have those guys out cheerleading for the fire service like they were. So to be able to provide that outlet for that group of folks in the fire service, is not only a tremendous responsibility, but I think it is an opportunity to serve the fire service, not just publish a magazine or hold a conference. It is, it's truly filling a very important need in our industry. I couldn't agree more. I, uh, I think that it's extremely important because <clears throat> not just in the, in the recruitment in the local level, but just recruitment in, in general to the fire service, like you said, it's becoming very hard. Um, you know, for years, 
people would talk about recruitment and retention, right? Recruitment, retention, recruitment, retention. And uh, sadly, it's more real now than ever. It is it a real problem that we have is that we're not finding uh, as many people or, and I don't mean to say this nasty. It's just, it's just a reality. We're not finding the strong pool of candidates that we once did. I mean, I remember, and I'm young. I remember years back, you know, you took the test. Uh, we used to, you know, we used to refer to it as the city. So for the FDNY, you, know, you took the test for the city and you know, we used to joke and be like, you know, you need to live in Brooklyn and be a wounded vet, <laughs> you know, right. in order to to get on because so many people took the test and so thousands. many people. Yeah. Yeah. Thousands. And so many people were legacy guys. And, and uh, you know, it was it was it was heavy, heavy competition. Um, and, uh, you know, and and and. And nowadays, like I said, like, you know, I'm sure if you were to compare numbers now, the FDNY, they do a pretty good job as far as their recruitment process goes and campaigning it to the city folks and the residents. Um, but a lot of other cities, a lot of other departments, um, it's tough for them. And uh, and when people find out, you know, because they'll do a good job at campaigning it online and everything like that. But then when people find out what the job actually entails how long the fire academy is, how strenuous, how physically, you know, stressful uh, it can be to do what we do. You know, a lot of people get turned off by that and, um, and, and it's, and it's tough. So I think that that's the other important piece of where we're going with what we do, you know, with uh, the content that we share with fire engineering and, and all that is, is we're trying to bring good people so that we can continue to, 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 to push in a, in a positive direction with, with the future of our fire service. It's not something that we ever want to give up or, or, or get rid of, you know, sure. Improve and, and, uh, and all that. Like, you know, I always joke, uh, you know, years, just less than a hundred and now, you know, 20 years ago, we used to pull the fire engines with horses. And when somebody said, Hey, Henry Ford's on to something. We should put an engine on this thing. And they were probably like, what are you crazy? You know, we'll never do that. You know? So, so we, we survived by the, our ability to evolve. Um, you know, I think that as funny as, as much as firefighters hate change, we actually could be the best ones in, in society to help corporations uh, teach people how to embrace change because we have to, you know, I mean, look at the EV thing and the, the uh, lithium ion battery thing. I mean, this is now the, the, the buzzword hot tip, ticket item because we've kind of found ourselves like, hey, we we got to find a new way to approach this. And so we are we are agents of change. And and I think that uh, it's important for us to continue to do the type of things that we do to recruit the right people. But also on the on the flip side, the retention piece is keep the right people um, again, right. not to not to get low. Motivate but I, the motivators. I, go ahead. Motivate the, motivate the motivators. Motivate the motivators. Yeah. Continue to, to feed that in a sense that, you know, with, with prudence, you know, you don't want them to get uh, overly passionate. Passion's a double-edged sword. People can get too passionate and then they, they get tunnel vision, but yeah, exactly. Like you would, you would share the story about how um, just people can be uh, kind of turned off or whatever um, by their leadership in, 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 uh, in what it is that they're doing. So when I, when I uh, early on started, teaching and writing um i had a chief that he used to print out he would go on facebook and he would print out any of the stuff that i would uh put and uh 
and but he wouldn't hang it up. He would keep it to himself. So one day I asked him, I said, you know, I said, uh, I noticed you have like a stack of all these things on your desk. And I said, you know, can I ask you why? And, uh, and he said, oh, well, he said, I'm just trying to make sure you're not talking about me. And I thought, well, I'm not. I said, but, you know, is there an issue? Like, first, I wanted to make sure, like, that, you know, there, well, I wasn't doing anything off the cuff or I was doing anything unethical or I could get myself jammed up. And he said, no, I already spoke to legal. He said that, you know, they didn't say – they said that nothing that you're doing is uh, – is there – there's any issue or anything. He's like, I just was interested in, in what it was that you were doing. I said, well, I appreciate your interest. And he was like, yeah, he's like, I couldn't help but notice that some of these uh, kind of sound uh, like they're meaning toward me. So I, I – I, Kind of arrogantly, but I just, in the moment, I just, my response was, well, I said, a lot of the things that I post are based off of my experiences. They're nothing personal about anybody, but if you're having some kind of hardship, I'd love to talk to you about it. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I said to him, you know. Let's have a conversation. Same, sure. same in my situation is like, you know, I've been writing for almost 20 years and uh, uh, I was union president during the time that I wrote my first article, which was on the, um, the tower crane rescue and the mill fire that happened in Atlanta that they got televised where um, Matt Mosley hung off a rope from the helicopter and rescued the guy off the tower crane, a very dramatic went live all over the country um, pre social media. So it was like, you know, um, NBC, ABC, CNN, they were all carrying it uh, live. And so, uh, um, Bill Manning wanted me to write an article about it, the rescue and the fire. And it was a tremendous fire. It was a, it was an old mill that was being historically renovated into lofts. And, uh, it, it was like the biggest fire we had had in Atlanta in, in a century. And so, uh, you know, I wrote up the article. It was like a lessons learned. Uh, it's kind of like t today's fire focus that we have in the magazine. And uh, part of our rules were you had to submit anything that you were going to get published. You had to submit it through the organization to get approval. And I was a lieutenant at the time and I was the union president. So I submitted two articles to get approved and it took about a month for them to come back and they were both denied. And I was like, can I meet with you and find out why they're denied? And it was like, no, um, they're denied. So I actually had to go to the city, uh, with the, with the help and the coaching of Bill Manning. He was like, well, go to your city attorney and, and ask them if there's any workarounds, whatever. So I end up in the ethics department and the lady, uh, very nicely explained to me how the first amendment worked and that, that the rule was there to protect the city and the fire department. And that if the fire chief didn't feel that it represented the fire department in a way that he thought was good, then he could deny it. So I had her read it. And I mean, there was nothing in there. There was no politics. There was nothing. It was a strictly an incident report and, and the incident was phenomenal. And the rescue was like, it was the biggest thing in the fire service at that time. It was everywhere. Everybody knew who Matt Mosley was. And, uh, she said, well, Mr. Rhodes, you know, that, um, you know, your constitutional right, you can publish this article as long as you don't say where you work. And I was like, why would I not want to, and why would you not want me to like, and, and she just kind of gave me the wink and the nod. And she said, just take out that you work for Atlanta and make it generic and you can publish whatever you want. And so 
not one of my articles ever published listed where I worked. I just took that as the thing. And the only reason it was denied is because I was the union president and, and it was a personal thing with the fire chief. If it had been somebody else, it would have probably been approved. So, uh, it's just weird that those, those personalities come, come into play when somebody's trying to do good, you know? Right. So, and they don't realize that that's free marketing for them. Like, you know, back to the recruitment piece, you know, I mean, you get somebody that is able to bring some positive noise. Right. To right. Your but it goes back to jealousy. It goes back again. Sure. It's like, I'm, I'm not trying to make anybody look bad by writing the article, but I think the perception was, why did I not write the article? Yeah. I'm the chief. And it's right. like, well, you could have. Yeah. <laughs> no, nobody's I'll put you, stopping I'll put you in you, touch but, with the person that I but took, I took to. the initiative, you know, and that's a, uh, you know, another point about the magazine that I, that I found kind of funny since taking the role is, um, obviously firefighters are big critics of, of everybody, like mm. you said, but I've had, you know, several really good guys call, you know, right at the, at the time that I actually, when I started the the subject matter expert job and they were like, I can't believe you guys published this article by this guy, or I can't believe that you guys <laughs> retweeted this and this guy is this and this guy is that. And I'll, and I'm like, well, um, why? And they were like, why are you putting this? Why are you publishing this? And I'm like, well, one is he actually contributed and, and the platform is open. So I'll be glad to replace something with something else if I have a contributor. Right. And, and so I'd like flipped it right back on him, which was my old union president days when everybody would come and complain and have no solutions, you know, and put them to work. And so, uh, <laughs> I um, love that strategy. So, so yeah, I mean, the platform is open. If you have something, if, if you're not, if you're not happy with something that you read in the magazine, that's actually not a bad thing because again, it's not a closed loop where we only are going to publish what one individual thinks is correct. It is a, a back to the very first issue. And Bobby used to talk about it all the time. It is a platform to provide a voice and to discuss issues in the fire service. And just because somebody does something different in upstate Washington in the mountains uh, of the wilderness in, in a national forest doesn't mean that you have to do the same thing in Miami. Right. But, but it is, it is worthy of people that face those similar problems. So it's not that everybody's going to agree with everything. It is a platform for discussion and to get those things out. And for people who are thinking about writing, the biggest mistake and, and teaching at FDIC, the biggest mistake that you can do in your proposal is propose something that you read about or that you took a class in, but that you have no experience in. Mm -hmm. And, and I, obviously, I mean, everybody loves the, the allure of, of FDNY and the big city and, and a lot of the urban environments and all the things that happen there. But the fact is 80 to 90% of the fire service is rural suburban. And we need the perspective of the guy who shows up with two people. We need the perspective of the guy who has no water supply. We need that information and we need to publish it and put it in the magazine. So if you're, if you're working at, at a, 
at a two station department where you have two people on duty at a time and you have to run water tankers and all that. You, you don't need to write the article on high rise writ, uh, for me because I've got other people to do that. Even though you're into it and you're passionate about it, maybe you've done it in, in the training environment at, at one of these smaller conferences or whatever. I need you to write about what you do and what your expertise is. And you need to be proud of that. Um, and it's like, don't pretend to be somebody in an organization that you're not in. Be proud of your organization and write us about your experiences. And in the same with teaching, propose those classes that have to do with your, um, with your teaching, with right. your, your actual experience. One of the first things I do and, and back to the, the departments hating on you and stuff is we've noticed like a lot of guys, when they propose to teach, they don't put who they work for. They'll put like a suburban fire department in the Chicago area or a rural fire department in so-and-so. And they're afraid of retaliation yeah. or something from their departments, but I need that information. So it gives me perspective of, of what region you're in and what you do and, and, and what you're working for, because I want to know that if I, if I really like your proposal and you're proposing to teach, you know, high rise command, but then I look up, I want to look up your department. And if I look and I find out that the tallest building in town is the, is the two story <laughs> courthouse, then I, you don't have credibility in the system to teach that. Even if you're a national fire Academy instructor on it, you still right. don't have the credibility for what I'm looking for for that, but you may have some impeccable credibility on something else mm -hmm. that nobody else has. And so just be yourself, propose the things that you have experience with. And I think that's what sets us apart from a lot of conferences is that we really want the people who are experienced in the areas they're writing about and that they're teaching about, and they're not just teaching from teaching experience, if that makes sense. I agree. Uh, I love that you said that too. You know, uh, I, I say to a lot of people, um, you know, I had, I had put in proposals for, for FDIC for a number of years. And, um, and then I finally was told, Hey, you know, this is what you're doing at West Point right now. Right. I said, yeah. I said, why don't you put a class together on that? And I'm like, oh, I never thought about that. And I did. And it got accepted. Right. Some people overthink it. Yeah. They way overthink it. But, you yeah, know, don't short yourself on your resume. Let me know who you are. Let me know your experience, who you've worked with, your department. We're not going to publish, publish that. Like, if you don't want that in your bio, that's fine. But in your proposal, like, I want to know that so I can, mm -hmm. can check you out. That's the first thing I look at. And I go straight. I, well, I go to the class title first, and then I go to the resume and after the resume, I may be done with the proposal. Mm -hmm. There's a chance that if you don't take the time to tell me who you are, um, that unless I already know you and you know, you've been out there before, then if I don't really see anything in that resume and I'm not talking about, you know, your, your, your degrees and certificates, it's like where you worked and what you've done. Like if you, you've been on an engine company for five years and, you're on the ladder company or the special ops. What I, I want to know those things so that I can get a little better feel of, mm -hmm. of how you, how your expertise was developed in this subject. 
So it's, uh, fun, it's funny you say that. So the, the class that I'm doing this year, it's a, uh, you know, I got picked um, a couple of years back. And uh, so you guys have had me do a couple different programs. So this program is, <clears throat> is actually the one that I'm doing in April is literally about what we're talking about. And the name of the class is, do you have what it takes to be a training officer? And I'm not, I don't, I'm not faking it when I, it's because I've now got, Oh Christ. I mean, uh, you know, going on eight years of ex being exclusively assigned to a training division and, and that's in two different organizations. One of which, you know, was, was West Point, which is a big deal. And, and then, uh, you know, I've just through my experiences handling, you know, uh, uh, being a chairperson for the army, uh, training committee, uh, helping write the content and curriculum and the regulations for the requirements for for uh, what army firefighters are supposed to be training on, you know. And when I say army firefighters, I don't mean active duty. You know, it's a misconception. We're we're city we're we're the same as city fire municipal firemen. Just each base has a fire department. They're all civilian. We're all civilian firefighters. And right. part of the things that I do is I write on that, and and then I have my program. And one of the things that I stress on the most is because I learned, you know quite literally the hard way is you can't fake it till you make it not in the fire service and not as a training officer. You need to like you guys do with, with who you pick, you know, who you methodically uh, and meticulously pick for uh, who's going to present at, at the FDIC is the same thing when you're a training officer, you know, developing your training program, you shouldn't teach every class just because you're the training officer. You right. know, I, I'm an EMT because my job required me to be, but I'm not going to teach the EMT stuff to my guys because I'm going to probably make their level of education regress because I don't really know what I'm doing either. You know, so you have to pick your SMEs and pick your cadre of instructors and and then that's how you develop your training program. And and a lot of the class that I talk about is that is, you know, like have credibility. Don't be the training officer if you've never driven a fire truck. And if you haven't driven a fire truck, but you're the training officer, you shouldn't be the one teaching the guys in your driver driver's training program. Have the captain or lieutenant or the senior driver, you know, be that per have that person lead the way on that. And and that's just, you know, coupled into what we're talking about is, you know, for the listener, it is, it's extremely important. You know, we're not trying to sit here and say you need to afford a thousand fires and that makes you experience. No, right. but don't be a buzzword person. You know, uh, I guarantee that if you want to teach at the FDIC, if you want to write, or, you know, you want to get into teaching just in general, I guarantee there's something you're already doing that you are an SME on. And it doesn't have to be the sexy thing that was on YouTube. You know, if you don't have experience in that, but it is something that you're interested in, that's fine. Maintain that that interest because it's it's great to be passionate about something. But the class could even be on that, how to, you know, develop yourself off of things that you're interested in that, you know, that you don't have the uh, your department doesn't run those type of emergencies or something. I mean, anything like that, you know, there's every one of us has our niche. And that's the beauty of it is the fire service, you know, we're, we're jacks of all trades, master of none. Right. So we don't all, we're not all subject matter experts, but there is something that we have the level of experience in. And, and that's the thing I try to caution people on is, you know, um, people will ask me, you know, how, 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 how are you able to teach at FDIC? I, I, I say, because I talk about what I do. That's literally what I say. You know, I, I, I don't fake it. I'm not going to sit here and give a tech rescue class or anything like that because that would be ingenuine and somebody's going to sniff that out. 
And I used to love Bobby would always give somebody a chance, you know, and Diane used to have that shirt. Right. Say, welcome FDIC. This is your last year. <laughs> yeah, this could be your last year. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you said, can I still wear that? And I said, absolutely. And, and you know, Dave, the, the thing is, and, and, uh, I really want to get this message out cause I don't think it was, uh, I don't think it was really communicated out, um, like it should be just, just because of the bandwidth that, you know, you have Bobby and Diane just working like crazy, getting all this stuff done. And, uh, you don't have time to really like fully pull the curtain back and, and show everybody the thing they would provide opportunities when, when they could and all. But one of the things I want to make sure that gets out there is we get over a thousand proposals for FDIC and we have about 300 classes. Well, um, and there's always, you know, with the social media now, it's always like, uh, you know, the, the day of death when the notices go out. And so people are posting, Oh, so happy to be returning to FDIC. And then you got other folks rejected again and, and all. And, uh, I really looked at a lot of those conversations and it was, it was very enlightening to see the perceptions of people. And there's, there's a lot of people out there that don't know the connection between fire engineering and FDIC. Um, and they definitely don't know that, that Clarion is the company that owns it. And so, um, Clarion owns us Clarion events, and they're the ones who, who put on the event and on the magazine and fire engineering is, is the publication and fire engineering books and video fireengineering.com gyms.com, uh, firefighter nation, firefighter apparatus and equipment. All those are, are media outlets that are all part of really one big brand, uh, which falls under the Clarion umbrella. And so when we get a thousand submissions for classes, and that includes the hot classes and the workshops and all, and we're going through and, and deciding what classes we're going to do. One of the, we, we have a matrix that, that we use that says we want to have so many company officer type classes, so many engine companies, so many truck company, so many technical rescue. So we, and it's not hard set in stone, but it's a good model for us to follow. And we, and we start plugging in the proposals and all, but back to, to something you said earlier about with the social media and the popularity and how it used to be that you had to really invest a lot of time in. Um, we really do look at the body of work. And so that's why I said that resume is so important. And then we also ask you in the proposal, have you ever taught this class before, uh, anywhere else? And some people think that's a trick, but it's not, uh, we're looking, we don't want FDIC to be the first time you've ever taught this class because this is not a, it's not a minor league training camp to, to build you, build you up. It's the show. And, and it's like supposed to be the best of the, of the best that we got the proposals from coming to give their presentation. So, um, we look at that. And so some people get mad that they get turned down, but when we look at their body of work, they haven't written an article for us. They haven't done a podcast for us. They haven't been a guest on a podcast. They haven't done anything to contribute to the content of the brands that are all tied and associated. So 
So if we have two people, let's say one person puts in uh, a class, you know, um, an efficient engine company, how to build an efficient engine company. And, and that guy has done nothing but put in a proposal for a class. That's it. Another guy puts in a very similar class and he's written four or five articles over the last few years uh, online and maybe a couple in print. He's done some, some stuff for fire apparatus. Um, he hosts a podcast, uh, 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 a whole host of things. That guy gets preference. That guy gets preference because we're loyal to the people who are, are contributing to our content and as it should be. Now that's not to say that we're perfect in our selection. Every now and then something comes along that really looks attractive and maybe they haven't done as, as much as somebody else, but we look at it and we research it and we're like, this actually is a very hot topic and we need a speaker on this subject. You know, something like, like it's come up like the electric vehicles or, or something that's really current. So it's not a hundred percent perfect in that sense, but I want people to know that if all you're doing is putting in proposals and maybe you teach at your department and you've taught at a couple of, uh, of the smaller conferences and all, we want to know that and that counts, but you may get bumped out because somebody else has contributed an article. And that's why we ask for an article. Uh, if we accept you, we say, we want an article about what you're going to teach. Um, uh, for content for the magazine. So it's all tied together. It's not a bunch of individual standing companies. All of those brands are tied in together. And then FDIC is just the conference component of that. So that's one way to increase your chances of, of getting selected is put in the work, become a contributor. And it doesn't have to be, you know, war and peace. We, we really need the thousand to 1200 word articles for online content. That's, that's driving the market right now. And, uh, that's, uh, you know, if you look in the front of the magazine, my editorial is, is around 1200 words, 1200 to 1400 words. So it's a one pager. And, uh, that's about the attention span of the digital, uh, market right now. So don't be afraid to contribute and, uh, don't be afraid if we, call back and say, this doesn't fit, uh, make adjustments. I personally, even though I don't have enough time to do it for every time, if I see something that's good content, but maybe the writing isn't that great, I'm going to call that person and we're going to work through it, or I'm going to get them with some of our other editors and we're going to coach you through, and we're going to turn that into something that's good. And we're going to make you look good. Um, a lot of people don't know. Up until probably five years ago, Bill Gustin, uh, the great and wise Bill Gustin submitted his articles on a letter pad <laughs> until about five years ago. And you talk about, you know, I laugh because I know only, Bill and that's not even surprising. <laughs> not only did they have to type them in for him, but then they had to, to edit and interpret his chicken scratch. Right. <laughs> and, but but who has given us better content over the course of, of his, well, who's got a bigger body of work, right. you know, than Bill Gustin right now. He's still working. He's at the Academy, you know, know. down there. He's still, he's and he, and he's still doing a hump day hangout and he's still, 
you know, so he's one of our technical editors, but he is constantly recruiting authors. He's constantly contributing and, uh, you know, don't be afraid to write. Don't be afraid to, to, to put your thoughts down and, um, back to the selection process, um, which is kind of natural, I think, but like out of the, out of the thousand proposals we get, we get a lot of people like, I can't believe you didn't pick my class. You know, I'm talking on leadership and it's a great subject. Well, out of those thousand, we get probably half of them are on leadership. Yeah, I was going to say that's saturated. And, And if you think about it, it's probably your upper management and chief officers who are putting in for it. And that's kind of their niche and and leadership is, is a very hot topic still. I mean, it's all always has been historically, but, but when you're, let's say, let's say that you're, you're not a contributor, you haven't, you haven't put in the work with the brands and, and, and gave us some social media content, some web content, some magazine content, some training minutes, videos, some training tip videos. You haven't done any of that and you and you put in for leadership well now your chances are almost zero because mm-hmm. you've got 500 other proposals and surely out of those 500 there's probably 10 that we're going to pick from that have contributed in in you know other ways so you have to work your way into the system and it's not a closed loop uh, you know you see all the same stuff oh, it's a good old boy system it's, uh, it's they only pick their buddies and blah 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 well, you know, I, I grew up in the South and there's a saying, you dance with the one that brung you. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and that holds true, but we're not, you know, intentionally shutting anybody out of the, of the process. Um, and we're going to do a lot more active recruiting for some of the course content at FDIC too, in the future, not just the, the proposals. So if we see something, out there, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to like come to you and say, Hey, would you be interested in doing this at, at FDIC and, and, and really designing programs, um, for the conference. And that's, that's another common mistake too, is if you don't know the system, then you don't know how we're set up. And like for our hot training, we're set up for 55 students for 10 instructors on a live fire for five to six on a non live fire. And a lot of people are putting in proposals that they need, you know, eight and 10 instructors and that they can take 30 students. And that just doesn't fit our model. And so we got to make sure to educate the people who are proposing classes of what the model is so that they can design the class for FDIC, not necessarily bring their existing class as it stands and try to fit it into our system. So hopefully we can do a better job at communicating that and, and that'll lessen the, uh, the pain of some of the, the unnecessary rejection. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I'm with you there. And, and I, I, again, I like that. I like that, that you're already looking to, you know, other ways for us to improve. And, and, and for the listener, that is, that's, that's great information. You know, it's, it's not, it's not like that, you know, that the, the good old boy perception and stuff, Um, you know, it, it is like I, I, I if just speaking for myself, I try to, uh, you know, fire engineering has been gracious to me. They gave me the podcast, you know, Bobby gave me the podcast, um, 
back in 2018. Uh, uh, I proposed the idea to him in September of 2017. And uh, he's like, oh, it's such a great idea, Dave. Let, let's do that. And then uh, and then f- he he called me up. Uh, he was actually with um, uh, Eric Rhodes. He was with him. They were out somewhere in uh, the summer of 2018. And he called me on a random. He was teaching. And he mentioned the idea as I thought he forgot about it. And he was like, Hey, remember that thing you told me about where you wanted to do a podcast and you said you want to do like a networking thing and talk to people from all over. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, well, there's supposed to be a, a, a another spot opening up um, on the blog talk radio. I'm going to put you in touch with uh, Pete Parocchio and, and see if we can get it set up. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I already know Pete. Cause I was writing for the online content and then we got it set up and, uh, and, and, and I continue to do it. And, you know, so understand this uh, just for the listener. You know, one, it, it is a brand, and I and I don't want to dismiss it when I say that. You know, you have to appreciate that. So it is. It's a business. It's a brand, and we, you know, we're in the in the business of educating uh, our, our fire service members and our emergency service members, um, and uh, and we're in, in, in with the intent of motivating, re-motivating, re-energizing and, 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 and giving a larger platform to share content and information so we can continue to educate people throughout the world. Um, you know, uh, but, but with that, you know, you need to, um, uh, put yourself out there also, you know, you could have the, the, the best content in the world and the best idea in the world. But if, um, if, if, if nobody, and it's it just, it's a nature of the beast. I'm not trying to say this, but if nobody knows who you are, and unfortunately, nobody's going to hear that message, and it's a really valuable message. And and like that's where you know, like fire engineering has these great outlets where they're always looking for new contributors, they're always looking for new authors, they're always looking for new people to write something new that's relevant and meaningful and 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 trustworthy that you're writing something that is 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 you know true and that you have experience in. Uh, but then you have these opportunities like I you know I have here where you know I'm, I'm talking to to David Rhodes, the editor in chief of the magazine, you know, on, on their podcast and, and, uh, and we're spreading more information. It doesn't just stop at FDIC. It doesn't just stop at the magazine. There's so many different things, uh, to do. So, so yeah, there's a lot of endless possibilities out there. And, 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 and I guess my challenge or suggestion to, to any of the listeners is, is just what you said, chief is just, just that put yourself out there, be meaningful, um, you know, and, and, uh, and, and and if it happens, you know, I've gotten the Dear John letter. That letter sucks, man. I know the feeling. I can be empathetic and say I know that feeling. Uh, but regroup. See if uh, there's a way to, you know, to try to 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 gain back uh, what you're supposed to do. Uh, reassess. See what it is that you're supposed to do and and how you can help out with the brand and, and the brand meaning you too. You know, you you are part of that brand. You you have a message. You're some some level of talent that 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 you know you have something to offer. So, so go in and, uh, and utilize that and, and showcase that in, in the right way. Um, right. Yeah. Yes. We have been, we have been burned on a couple of, uh, social media celebrity types, uh, <laughs> over, over the years, not too bad because we have a good system, but there were a couple that, that, uh, Bobby bless his heart got enamored with that. We got to have this guy. And, uh, mm. we joke, we joked and called him, we called them FOBs, which were friends of Bobby's that he would meet <laughs> in the airport somewhere and promise. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Here's my card. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put you on, the, I'll put you on the main stage mm-hmm. and then nobody would know about it. They wouldn't submit a proposal. And then all of a sudden we'd be like, Oh, we got to add this guy. 
<laughs> and uh, <laughs> happened a couple of times to the demise of uh, of of everyone. But uh, now I'm very conscious of that. Uh, I'm not an anti-social media person, but I do know that that's only part of the of the body of work. And right. if all you're doing is posting memes and and you got a hundred thousand followers, that doesn't mean you're going to get picked over a guy who barely has a social media presence and has, you know, 400 followers, but <laughs> has a body of work with us that is just, you know, incredible. Maybe he's written a book or, or, uh, you know, done some training minute videos or, or what have you is just not in the age group to have the, the, the social media desire or skills. So right. we're definitely in a transitional period right there. Hopefully we find folks that have both, you know, that are competent, have good character and have good social media promotion because it does help, help get the word out. Sure. But I'll tell you, but just uh, on that, um, and, and I know we're, we're going to, we're going to end up wrapping up here and uh, soon there's only a couple things left, but I just want us to share cause we're on it. Cause it's important. You know, that's the other nice thing about the magazine about, uh, and about FDIC is it doesn't just cater to that. Um, 35,000 attendees, you know, there's a reason for that. We're not just bringing your 18 to 30 year old social media heads. There's a lot of dudes there that have been doing this for a long time and they read the magazine. They attend the workshops. They're there for that reason. They're not there because of the memes. The memes are cool. Don't get me wrong, you know, and there's always those hot, sexy ones that end up getting so many damn shares and that's nice. And, um, Everybody likes a good laugh. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Um, but uh, but there are there's the you know there's a there's a good group of uh, I would say it's 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 almost in thirds now. You know, there's like there's like thirty three percent are the social media, thirty three percent are the 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 you know Gen Xers or the Cuspers, and then the other 33 percent those are the the baby boomers, and they're still out there doing it, and they don't care what you tweeted. They know that you're right. the guy that they wanted to sit through a class on. And, yep. and, and that's the beauty of, of what we have at FDIC is because we have all three generations that we have in our firehouse. They're attending that conference and we have all three instructors at that conference. Right. You know how uh, in the music world, um, vinyl has now taken back over in the stores and more, yeah. vinyl, more vinyl is sold than anything else uh, in the stores. Obviously, downloads are still the number one but nobody buys CDs anymore. Um, it's back to vinyl. And I was reading an article the other day that says that, um, with all the digital media and, the and the short snippets and all that, that actually the, the kids that are like in middle school, high school right now, that there's going to be a resurgence of print material, printed books, uh, magazines and all that. They're going to want to hold it. Uh, in their hand and it's an intimate thing it's it honestly contributes to the learning to the experience in general you know yeah and so just i mean everything comes around full circle so Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see if that actually actually plays out because as the market runs you know towards digital content only and all it's it's really it's really been tough for the for the newspapers and print to hold on you know because so much of the advertising has moved to digital so um I'm like you though, you know, I still like to hold the book and, yeah. and the magazine, but not my kids, you know, my kids in their 
late teens and early twenties, they, they get all their information off their phone. And so, um, you gotta, you gotta be putting the content out everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And especially in this day and age right now, we, we kind of have to cater to both. And, but I am, I'm, I'm just old school. Like I just ordered, uh, you know, the Bobby's thing and, uh, and I ordered, uh, uh Frank Ritchie's new book that's coming out. Um, <clears throat> I just went on to, uh, FE books and videos and, and, and ordered both of them, uh, because I like to hold it. I'm sure it's going to be available digitally, but I want to hold it. I want to have you that want book to see it on your bookshelf too. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of like your, sort of like your life in a flash. Like you can look down that bookshelf and you can be like, man, I read all these books and you might not remember every word, but it's still part of your experience, you know, yeah. and you can, and if you're like me, you know, you got all the tabs and highlighted stuff and you remember something, you go back and start scanning through and looking. So, I mean, it's, it's the ever, ever, uh, never ending quest of learning. Right. Right. Amen. All right. So I'm going to, uh, kind of put you on the spot in the last two. So the, the one leading up to it, I just wanted you to, uh, you know, it, 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 we, we, we couldn't do this without discussing him. Uh, and then especially you, you know, you had a much closer relationship than a lot of us were able to have. So tell us a little bit about the legacy that was, uh, left by your predecessor, uh, chief Halton. Right. Well, Bobby, uh, as far as I know through the history was the, was the longest, uh, running editor, definitely in, in modern times for sure. Um, with 18 years, um, that that's, you know, quite a long time. Uh, uh, Brennan was only there, you know, a handful of years. Manning was there probably 10 years or so, but 18 years, um, to have the platform was, was just incredible. And we, we, we talked about it in, in our meetings, uh, in our, in our prep meetings and trying to figure out what all Bobby, what all Bobby did and where he had to be for, for my scheduling purposes. And, and we were, we were thinking, we were like, well, you know, the Bobby Halton of the 2022 FDIC was definitely not the same Bobby Halton at his first FDIC because he wasn't very well known. Um, at the time he, he had been an instructor at FDIC and come from, you know, Albuquerque fire department and then, uh, and moved to Texas for a short time as the fire chief there. And, uh, um, he really became the face of the fire service for, you know, all those that we've talked about, you know, the instructors, the company officers, the, the battalion chiefs, the, the training chiefs. And, uh, he became that, uh, that voice. And, uh, he was a, a larger than became a larger than life, um, figure that was inspirational. Um, you, you got that recharge when you were there, you felt like, uh, he was a friend you know, everybody had their, their, their Halton photo in the hallway or out at a hot site. Um, and, and nobody could, whether, whether you, whether you liked him or not, nobody could say that he didn't have an impeccable work ethic because the guy was on the go and just grinding and grinding for 18 years. And, uh, I don't know that he ever told anybody. No. I mean, I've heard these stories that, you know, the, the, 
the Cripple Creek Volunteer 16-member fire department in southwest Kansas called and said, can you speak at our awards banquet, you know, next week? And he'd be like, yeah, I'll be there. And uh, he was always looking for an opportunity to to promote the fire service as a whole. And, and so he, he became just a, just a huge larger than life figure that, um, although he was still a man and still a guy, just like everybody else, um, he had this, this huge persona and, uh, and he used it well. Um, he, he understood the responsibility of it and he, and he used it to, to promote the fire service. He, uh, he used it to give people opportunities and, and he always said, you know, the fire service needs more voices, not less. And so he never looked at trying to, to suppress the, the views of, of folks that wanted to contribute something to the magazine. And as I'm sure will happen to me at some point, you know, um, all editors get hate mail and, you know, um, not everybody agrees with everything that you publish or, or that you say, but that's kind of the nature of the, of the beast is that you're there to, to provide the platform and not just to be someone who regurgitates necessarily the popular mantra of the day, you know, and you have to understand that all firefighting is local. And I think Bobby had a, a good grasp on that, even though he was involved in, in FPA committees and UL and all that, I think, you know, at the, at the ground level of it, he understood that the importance of the magazine was to the everyday firefighter and to be able to give them some, some golden tidbits to make themselves better and, and to also challenge their thinking. That's another big piece of it is not just to get caught in that rut of, uh, one of the, one of the sayings is like, it's so great to be around like-minded people. Well, that's good to a certain point until it starts confirming your own cognitive biases that may be wrong. And so you need to be exposed to other things and you need to, uh, you, you need to, to educate yourself in all aspects of the fire service and not just be tunnel visioned into your own organization or your own region. And I think be open-minded to other things. Yeah. I think that's his legacy is that he was a friend to the fire service. He was passionate and, uh, and, and that he really, um, you know, he spoke up, he spoke up for, for a lot of issues that, that a lot of people wouldn't, um, at the time he always said he was unapologetic and, uh, and, and I think, you know, we need more of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, 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 I very much agree with all of those things. Yes. He's, he's definitely missed, um, uh, you know, not taking away from his legacy or, 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 um, or his contribution because he definitely, he was, he was, he was, uh, he spoke to the everyday firefighter. Like that you said that, you know, I mean, Bobby, he went everywhere and he never was ashamed to stop and he would be on the, go he'd have the handlers with him especially out there that week you know and and he'd stop and he would talk to anybody i remember the first year i taught there i bumped into him on uh tuesday uh because i wanted to take the whole thing in so they they picked me to come in and teach and 
and uh, I went and paid for two uh, pre-cons on Monday and Tuesday out of my pocket because I was like, there's no way if I never get back here again, I'm taking it all in. And all right. uh, I bumped into him uh, on Tuesday in the hallway and he made me walk with him to every spot that he had to pop in and do what he had to do for work um, just so that we could have a conversation. And I would say that what we discussed was maybe seven minutes worth of content, but I was with him for like three hours because he just right. kept bringing me everywhere and he'd stop and take a selfie and he would introduce me and God rest his soul. You know, he used to call me Dave McGinn for the first year <laughs> that, we, that but I mean, I was writing for the magazine, I think since 15 or 16 and we had been at conferences and we'd met each other and he always messed up my name. And uh, and he was kept introducing me to people as Dave McGinn, and I was too afraid to in, to correct him. And one day, Diane, like you know, God love Diane, you know how she is. So Diane's like, "It's McGlynn with an L," and he's like, "Is it really?" And I'm like, "Yeah, Chief." And he's like, "Why didn't you ever tell me?" And I'm like, ah, "I didn't have the heart to tell you." And he's like, "I'm so sorry." And he never messed it up again. <laughs> and he right. always said my name right. But it was just, you know, that that was. I mean, he just. He was always on the go, but he never wanted to say no to anybody. And I think that that was a testament to the following that that the magazine and the conference was able to develop. And it's nothing against Tommy, you know, nothing against Manning. It's just Bobby had this way of being approachable and people love access. And right. because he was bigger than 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 you know in people's imaginations i mean he was a big deal but what i'm saying is is like he, we almost made him heroic like like billy the kid right. you know right real life billy the kid really was just some snot-nosed kid who probably just was a punk and in today's age would just be some thug right but then he was so glorified and heroic that he he was bigger than what he really was and to people that access to this uh this hero the superhero persona um, was big and Bobby was able to he graciously was able to handle that he managed it really well that it 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 um it it certainly did a great thing for our thing because um here was this man at the forefront who was you know almost symbolic to being like synonymous with with Superman for the fire service and he was just right. a man he was just a he was a you know a man of faith a man of of, of huge moral convictions and, and character and but yet he was approachable and he would be humble enough to sit there and have a conversation and take a selfie with the most podunk guy in the world. You know, the guy that has on the T-shirt that says, I fight what you fear and, you know, and all right. that. And right. he did it. You know, he just never, ever, you know, I mean, he so, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, he did. He definitely um, he was he was he was right on, right there on the front line for everybody. So. So yeah, he had a, uh, he used to tell me this all the time. Cause I would, I would say, yeah, I was talking to somebody and they said that you did so-and-so and, you know, Bobby had just a, a really, really colorful life. I mean, you know, we, we always wondered, sometimes we're hearing stories. We're like, okay, is that a Bobby exaggeration or did that really happen? And, you know, you start getting in depth with him. He's talking about his skateboarding days. He's talking about driving for the grateful dead and all this stuff. And you're like, you find out all that stuff was true, you know, and it's just like, how in the world did you end up in the fire service? So, um, he used to, he used to tell me, and I, I, I won't quote it right, but he said, you know, I'd say, yeah, somebody said that, that you did this and this and that. And he goes, he goes, well, there's an old saying, Dave, he goes, when the, when the legend, um, 
outpaces the facts or something like that. And he goes, print the legend. <laughs> and I always thought that was hilarious because he was like, he's like, yeah, when you get in a position like this, he goes, you know, it's like Mark Twain, you know, all the quotes attributed to Mark Twain. He actually didn't say half of them, but yeah, they still right. got attributed to him. <laughs> oh, right. that sounds like something Mark Twain would say. So let's put it that Mark Twain said that. Right, right. It's like that meme, you know, trust everything. Don't trust everything you hear on the internet. And then it says Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah, you're right. It says when, Oh, here he is. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. So, <laughs> I so, love that. So I love that you saved it too. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up with this and this is, so just to let you know, so I asked this to every person I've ever interviewed. Puts everybody on the spot. I know you got the question in advance, but puts everybody on the spot. The reason why I love asking this, and I've gotten mixed reviews on, and I've had people, oh, you know, I don't really want to talk about my legacy. It should be up to someone else to talk about my legacy. And I don't like that question. That's why I asked the question, because right. I get you at your most raw and intimate time. Because the people that I interview, I don't interview as we call in Jersey, fugazis. I won't interview, you know, a fake person. I won't interview an arrogant narcissist. I interview stewards of the fire service, people that are trying to share a message, people that are trying to share content and, 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 and information. And those people, they, they have that character of being humble and, and, and understanding humility. And that's why the fidgetness of when they respond to this question is my favorite thing in the world because it shows how human someone can be. And I even asked Bobby the same question. So I'm going to ask you, you know, all that you're doing, all that you've done life fire service and what you're doing now as our, as our new leader, what type of legacy do you want to leave behind? Well, I think the most important thing is that I want, uh, I want people to know that I care and that, um, that I want them to be successful. I, I believe in setting people up for success and providing opportunity. And, uh, that's sort of been a long standing mantra, uh, that was drilled into me by the mentors that I had, you know, um, Scott Millsap and the smoke diver association, the whole servant leadership, um, mantra and, uh, I think that's the biggest piece. It's not, you know, a certain article or a certain class or whatever. It's that you provide provided an opportunity that you opened a door for somebody, inspired them to to do something um, that maybe they wouldn't have done, and uh, you know, made them grow as a, as a person, not just as a uh, as a firefighter. So. Uh, um, I think that would be, you know, my biggest intent to, to try to accomplish is that, that at the, at the end of the gig or, or the end of whatever, it's just like, if somebody says your name, you're like, yeah, man, that guy, that was a good dude. He, he cared a lot. I love that. I love that. That is in, especially in what we do, right? Having someone at the end say, 
Yeah, he was a good dude. He cared a lot. I mean, that's like, that sums it all up to me. You know, like they don't even have to elaborate. They don't even have to get into specifics. Somebody says that, we all get it. We don't even have to know the guy. If somebody says that about their old boss, somebody that mentored them through their career, through their life, and they say, you, you, like they they almost get at a loss for words, and they and they do that like that head shake thing. I'm actually, <clears throat> I'm just gonna uh, go to it just so you can see what I'm saying here. Hold on, <clears throat> uh, there we go. <laughs> and they and they do the you know, I don't know. He just he just cared a lot, right? You know, it's just like it just sums it, it right. It just frames it right there for them. You're just like, yep, I I, I know what you meant. You know, you just you connect right with it. You knew exactly what they were talking about. And yeah, it's, uh, that's beautiful. I love the way you put that. Um, so, uh, any final words from you, anything you wanted to say, anything that you wanted to cover? Um, you know, it, the floor is yours, chief. I appreciate you coming All right. on. Yeah. Um, we're getting close to, to FDIC. So, uh, we need to, uh, if you haven't signed up, you need to get registered as soon as possible. Um, we've, already sold out about 60% of the hot classes and a lot of them only have just a few spots left in them. We got 60 workshops, about 300 classes in total. We got the gyms conference, um, probably 20 to 30% of our classes are counting for, uh, for EMS credit hours this year, even if they're fire classes, if they have something to do with rescue. Um, we've got women in fire. We've got, the Metro chief officers, we've got the air force reserve doing their annual training with us this year. Um, the head of the Mexican fire service at the federal level is going to be with us. The U S fire administrator, we've got a delegation of four or five firefighters from Ukraine that are coming. Um, if your department, um, that's coming with your chiefs, you can sign up for the match program where if you have apparatus purchasing tool and equipment or software things that you need to to be looking at that match program will get you like right in to the right people to uh, get your appointments so that you can save a lot of time other than just just wandering the floor aimlessly and looking Um, we've got the ignite program which is something we're doing for small businesses to to give them a chance to exhibit at the show so if you if you don't have like a huge budget, but you're a small, like, especially like a firefighter owned company and you want to get a shot at exhibiting at FDIC, make sure to give them a, give them a call there um, and tell them you're interested in the ignite program. Then of course we've got the fool's bash. We've got the stair climb and then something that'll be very special uh, Wednesday afternoon, which would typically be Bobby's uh, after hours is going to be the Bobby Halton tribute. Um, that everybody's invited to, we'll have, you know, all the pageantry and, um, we don't want it to be a, a, a downer somber thing, but we'll, we'll have some of the pageantry with the bagpipes and the, and the honor guards and all, but we're going to have a lot of people just trying to tell some funny stories and some things that happened, you know, along their journey with Bobby. So, uh, we're looking forward to it. We just did the walkthrough, um, um, Tuesday. So, uh, we're ready to go. The next time we all travel, we'll be, uh, we'll be in Indy and it'll be showtime. So, uh, 
if you haven't been, you have to experience it. It is the, it is the one place where the entire fire service and fire service industry comes together. And, uh, you know, it's the largest in, in North America and, uh, as much gets done on the streets and in the sidebars than does at the actual classes and, and exhibits, but, uh, it's just a tremendous experience and, and everybody should, should, uh, check it out. Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> I agree with that. And I am, I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm teaching right before it. So I'm literally, as soon as my class finishes, I'm running over there. Uh, Wednesday afternoon, I'm going to encourage everybody in my class to just follow me over there. Um, I am excited about that, but there is, there's a lot of good stuff coming up and I'm excited to see everybody um, out there. So, you know, I'm excited to, to run into you and, and uh, now you're going to, now you're going to be stopping, getting stopped in the halls to do selfies. Hopefully not as much this year, (laughs) you know, (laughs) yeah. But no, but um, I do. I appreciate you doing the show. I appreciate you being patient and uh, going through all the the, the technical difficulties. <laughs> no problem. It happens. Yeah. Peter no, but Fick. thanks, Chief. Thank you. Um, yeah. So uh, we'll uh, we'll I'll see you in in April. And for the listeners, hopefully we see you in April. And and uh, thank you all so much. Be safe. This has been Dave McGlynn with Fire Engineering Podcast Networking for Success. Everybody, stay safe and thank you.